Welcome to Teacher's Lounge. I'm Peter Medlin. This is an education podcast, in case the name didn't give it away. We like to say we're telling the stories of education with the help of the stories of the educators themselves. Also, a quick bit of housekeeping before we get into it. We are starting a project here on Teacher's Lounge and at WNIJ called Dear Class of 2020. And basically what it means is that we want to give a platform for you to hear some of the valedictorian speeches from the coronavirus class since... Many of them aren't going to get a chance to give them in person this year. So if you want your school or if you have a valedictorian in your life uh, to be part of our special edition show, you can send us an email at teacherslounge at niu.edu. And as always, you can email us to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show as usual. So that's teacherslounge at niu.edu. This week on our show, we have Marilyn Moltz. Marilyn has been teaching English at DeKalb for around 30 years, and we covered a lot of ground in our conversation, from her e-learning experience, especially since she broke her ankle just before quarantine, uh, how to be present in a sea full of high schoolers, and how her approach and perspective with kids changes as she moves through her adult life. I'm sure that I got more comfortable with it with experience, You know, in the beginning, you feel so um, nervous about making a mistake or getting, you know, caught not knowing something. Um, And later, for me, later, I got much more relaxed about saying, you know, I'm not sure. I got to look into that. We had a lot of fun in this conversation. We also talked about smuggling toasters and cheese poetry. And you're just going to have to stay tuned to know what I'm talking about there. Guess what time of year it is already. That's not a trick question. I know it can be difficult to answer these days, but for our purposes, it's the end of May, which is usually the time for graduations and commencement ceremonies. And and yeah, those aren't happening right now, at least how they usually do. But there are many ways to graduate during a pandemic, but we're going to get into that in our next episode. Uh, But as I mentioned at the top of the show, speeches from valedictorians are essential for high school graduation ceremonies. And since many of them won't get that shot this year, at least in person, I talked to a few valedictorians about their speeches, speeches that you're going to hear later on part of that Dear Class of 2020 project, and we get their reflections on the weirdest senior year ever. A few weeks ago, Xavier Hutzel's mom called and woke him up at 10 in the morning. She was crying. That's usually not a good sign, but this time, it was. She was calling to congratulate him on being named valedictorian of his class at Roosevelt Community Education Center in Rockford. I was just rubbing my eyes, and I was just like, wait, what's going on? I'm like, are you sure? Like, me? It was surprising because Xavier wasn't sure if he was even going to graduate on time, let alone at the very top of his class. The road to graduation was not easy for Xavier, and that's something he wanted to get across in his valedictorian speech. The things that I've been through have definitely been, it's put a permanent humbleness in me. And as Hutzel says, what you say and what you do, whether it be bullying or discrimination, has an effect, and not just in the moment. I want people to know that what we do now does impact what happens in the future. And I don't think my generation realizes that yet. Jada Cox is the valedictorian at Jefferson High School in Rockford. In her speech, Jada wants her fellow classmates to know that if they still don't know what they're going to do after graduation, don't worry about it. We don't have to be hard on ourselves and we don't have to have everything figured out right now. You know, the, the next few years are supposed to be about change and growth. A recent survey showed 27% of students have changed their postgrad plans due to COVID-19, and many are concerned with how the pandemic will impact their ability to pay for school. 
Neither Jada nor Xavier felt like they needed to talk about the elephant in the virtual room too much in their speech. Jada says she acknowledged the virus, but tried not to dwell on it. My opening line was, we stand here today, or more likely sit in this very unconventional situation, on the precipice of the future. And that's like really the only time that I like strictly mention it. Jada's the type of person who's been thinking about where she wants to go to college since before she was in high school. She's going to be attending College of William and Mary in Virginia. And moving across the country can be stressful, especially in the midst of a public health crisis. And she's less than thrilled at the prospect of taking online classes once she gets there. I am scared. I don't, I did not work this hard for four years to be like, online school, I don't like online school. As for his future, Xavier's still looking at colleges. And the fall classes at many universities may still be online has changed his perspective as well. It's very iffy for me, like having a dorm room there or something. Xavier didn't have to do much e-learning, and he's thankful for that as he's more of a hands-on learner. Jada agrees, and as she said, she doesn't like online classes. Plus, Jada says the e-learning workload at Jefferson varied pretty dramatically between her different classes. My AP Econ teacher and my AP English Lit teacher were, like, very much, like, homework almost every day, like, Google Meets once a week to, like, come check in if you need help and, like, that kind of stuff. Even with their academic honors, the valedictorians both say it's hard not to see their senior years as somewhat anticlimactic. They didn't get the chance to really say goodbye to their teachers and friends, and there really wasn't a last day of school, even though they didn't know it at the time. Jada says that last day was the last day before spring break, so it was nothing remarkable. I don't even remember my last day of actual school. Jada and Xavier may not get to walk across the stage at graduation, let alone shake hands with the principal as they take their diploma in a gym packed with people, and they probably won't get to give their speeches the way they'd envision. But they'll still get to give them, just with a little bit less pomp and circumstance. Both of their schools are holding digital graduation ceremonies, and they'll get to give their speech in front of a camera at home. At least now they'll have a few takes to get it right and get their message across as they sit, as Jada Cox says, on the precipice of the future. I think that was more than enough information for a news roundup, so let's jump right into the main segment of our show. It's time for my conversation with Marilyn Moltz. I thought about building the fort for this, and then I was like, that's just, I, I spend enough time in the fort as it is. Oh my God, that's, that's funny. I gotta let my son know about that. He's um, a journalism, broadcast journalism student at, at Mizzou. Um, oh, no kidding. The fort method. The Fort Method, that's it. That's what we're relying on in public radio. You know, and then you spend like 10 minutes in there, and then you have to like take a breather, try to like get the airflow back in. Oh, my. It's, it's ridiculous. I never would have imagined that this is where I would be, but you know, it's, it could be worse. Blanket Fort, pretty comfortable. I mean, same. 30 years of teaching, I, I never, I never would have pictured, I couldn't possibly have pictured this. Are you completely done with your semester now? Yes, I am. Does it does it feel like you should like you're on vacation now? No, it just feels weird because there right. was, there was no the ritual of kids stopping by your classroom and a little thank you notes and um, a kid who struggled and and passed and you get to see their face and we didn't have that. Does it almost feel like you should be like going back to school now? Yeah, I. I went in, I'm trying to think what I went back in for to clear up my classroom because we were told like do this, you know, have this done by this date and time. And I looked around and I was just like, people, it's hard. Yeah, no, my mom was just doing this because my mom, also a teacher, was just doing the same thing a few weeks ago. And it was the same thing where you're like, 
okay, it's been weird since I've been at home for the last two months. And so now I feel like I should be expecting to like go back and like, oh, the school. But no, it's like now vacation is actually just starting right now. We're, I know that there's summer curriculum work for us and we're, we're sort of busy early June just figuring out like if we have to do more of this next year, how are we going to go in with a better plan? Yeah, let's think about if we have to do it again, we have a little bit of time to plan for something. Right. I mean, um... Instead of like 25 minutes that you guys had, <laughs> they're like, all right, on Monday, have fun. Well, I had broken my ankle in March, so I was already doing Google Classroom and posting and emailing. And so I was, it was maybe a little bit less of a shock for me, but now we just want to have a just-in-case... If we go back with reduced time or reduced number of kids in, in the building, great. But if we have to do some more of this, yeah, we want to go in with a just a sense of how to do it with some energy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a one of the phrases I really like and I think about a lot is uh, confidence is knowing that you have options. And so just knowing that the option is there and that we know what to do to break in case of emergency feels a lot better. Yeah. So and that's, it doesn't feel like vacation yet, but we'll see. Being able to be around people is going to feel a little more like vacation. You know, yesterday I was just running errands around town and of course, you know, putting the mask on when I go out, but I, I bumped into two, two former students helped me, which is kind of standard. If you teach 30 years, everywhere you go, kids are helping you. Uh, one kid over at Blooming Gardens and another kid at Farm and Fleet. And so these kids are taking care of me, former students. And I've got my silly mask on, but they still recognize me and we're laughing and talking. You know, that that feels good. It does. I'm glad that's an unexpected perk of being a teacher is that you've built up this army of people that can help you everywhere over the years. It's true. (laughs) It's funny, too, like having to whenever you have I feel like I was just talking about this with someone the other day that anytime you're telling a story now about you going in public or you seeing someone, we all feel like we we need to qualify our statements by being like, while also recognizing CDC guidelines, I had this human interaction. (laughs) As if people thought that I was like going rogue and like me spitting in the faces of civilians. Like even like I'm talking to my mom and I was like, oh, I saw my friend from six feet away wearing a mask outside. It's so weird. Oh. But it sounds like with your ankle, you were like unexpectedly ahead of the curve. I was. If there's a good time to break your ankle. And so you got to get ahead of the Google Classroom and you were you were there and you were ready for it a little more. You know, I have been using Google Classroom for a couple of years. Sure. Um, but boy, I had to totally use it <laughs> at that point. How is it now? Is your ankle I'm good much, to go. I'm good to go. I'm out and about. I'm walking. Yeah. I was going to say, because I I hope that, I mean, that has become like the great American pastime has become like walking outside in circles around your neighborhood. Have you had other salves for the quarantine? Like what else have you been doing maybe creatively to to keep you sane? Or or what have you been doing just to get through the days? What have I been doing? Like everybody else cooking, of course. (laughs) Reading, reading, stack of books. English teacher, very on brand. I mean, absolutely, yeah, definitely splurging the Amazon splurges and 
and ordering books, of course, from my favorite, you know, small bookstores directly and sure. um, really spending time outside, checking in with my kids. I have two kids in college, um, and so they're on two different campuses living in apartments during the shutdown. So sending them goods and um, kind of mojo maintenance, you know, from your mom kind of yes. stuff. So you mentioned you've been in the area a while. Are you originally from the northern Illinois area? Or? Well, I am. I'm from the suburbs on Wharton Grove. Okay. And I've been out here 30 years, 30 a little plus. Just at DeKalb and th for 31? Or? I have taught at DeKalb my entire career. It's funny. Whenever I talk to someone that has been at the same place for a long time, they're always like, you know, when I started here, I never thought that I was going to be here for 30 years did you feel that way? Life is so unpredictable. Um, I didn't think ahead that far in my 20s. I just jumped in. I was having a blast. Yeah. And um, it was just exciting. It was, it was tiring, overwhelming, but energizing. And I just, I just always had fun with it. Yeah. Um, and shoot, if I started in my, you know, early 20s and I'm in my mid-50s now, I mean, I've I've lived all these different parts of my life while teaching. Yeah. From uh, being a brand new teacher to being a brand new mom um, to later being a single mom, uh, going back to grad school, launching my kids off to college. You know, so I've I've been able to teach through all those different phases of my life and, and be part of this community. Early on in my career, I, I was able to help write arts council grants. And that was so much fun to be to be part of a teaching community that encourages that sort of creative work. Yeah, I, I like what you said about being able to be a teacher through the different phases of your life. Because I think, I mean, obviously, you know, the progression of our lives impacts whatever job that we have. But I think specifically with education too, changing the way that you perceive what you do. And then also, like, like you said, being a parent probably changes the nature of your relationships and how you look at students. Oh, it's changed it so much. I mean, early in my career, I had no idea what to do about a kid who had their head down or a kid who just seemed unhappy um, or angry uh, or just not making eye contact or not engaging. I just, I, ha I didn't have any real deep understanding of that. Later, as, as I spent more time with kids and raised my own. I could see kids in such, in such a more, you know, nuanced kind of way. And I could relax more and enjoy. I mean, the thing that I, I miss, you know, here sitting in my house, e-teaching, um, is the funny stuff that kids do, the playfulness, the rascally energy. You know, the kid who makes crazy bird bird calls when I'm writing on the board or the kid who smuggles in a toaster, not making that up, is toasting waffles, you know, <laughs> like kids do crazy funny things. The waffle is just absurd enough to be like, I don't even know how you can get mad at that. No. I mean, <laughs> like it's, it's too good. That's, that's the pleasure ultimately of teaching is, is, yeah, you're trying to teach material, you know, but there's something joyful or surprising that happens. I've been teaching mostly seniors lately. I had a kid more recently who, he's a kid who had like a perfect math and science score on the ACT. Perfect. Okay. Must be nice. He was English 
um, English as a second language, and mm -hmm. he was trying to get into an engineering program at U of I, his English scores were down. He needed to raise them. And so this kid spent the whole semester with his hand up. Question, 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 and sometimes a little frustrating for me, right? But he would write essays two or three times. We're studying romantic poetry. And by the end of the semester, by the end of the school year, he made it into the program to become an engineer at U of I. That's what I love. I think at the end of the day, I think that a lot of us, you know, have notions that like teaching is the material and that it is getting across the information. But I, I, I'm wondering, like, if this is when you're in college learning to be a teacher or is it the first couple of years where you're like, it is about the material, obviously, it's about getting across this information, but more so it's the, you know, authentic human interaction and connections. It, it really is both. But yeah, yeah. when I think about my favorite memories or, or, or the most, you know, nourishing stuff that's, that's happened to me in, as a teacher, it's usually the relationships. It's a kid, who, a shy kid who comes in and gives a presentation right in front of the class which you know and I know next to you know fear of death like fear of speaking in public it's right up there I can remember some of these kids standing up to speak and giving presentations where no one in the class would have predicted that this particular kid would stand up at all and that they actually had something to say you know yeah. and you could see them have this big moment you know like I mentioned before that like this this show, the people that I have our guests are, are people that are nominated. And so I was looking this morning, I was looking through the email of the person, and I could tell you afterwards who it is. I just forget what their name is, the person that nominated you. But one of the things that they said when they were like describing who you are, I wanna I wanna read the quote to you okay. and I want you to react to it and we can okay. talk about it. Okay. Okay. I'm so bracing said, myself now. <laughs> it's, it's a good I mean okay. they nominated you. It wasn't like right, a right. vindictive, I would hope. Uh, she said she loves helping students learn to like or even love the English language and writing. And so when you hear something like that, what does that mean to you? Yeah, that is, that is the most energizing thing. And when I see a kid who didn't want to pick up a book and was like, uh, do I have to? And that kid is talking to other kids about the book. I'm like, right on, you know? Or a mm -hmm. kid in a creative writing class who and, and again, this is so funny, like I couldn't make it up. He, he writes, a, uh, he submits a poem to an NPR, to NIJ's poetry contest a couple years ago. And he writes a, a love poem. It was in February. He writes a love poem about cheese. He, he accidentally <laughs> writes a sonnet. I don't know how that happens, but, but he wins the contest. He gets to go to the station and he gets to read his poem. I'm telling you, as an English teacher, when you see that spark, yeah, that's the stuff, truly. And I think that's that's a really fascinating, like you said, where that spark happens, and you as a teacher trying to unlock how to get to that place, especially with like high school students. I had a, a group of creative writing kids who, it was just this kind of um, magical group that happens once in a while. The kids would... Um, they were willing to share their writing out loud and they would read to each other. And we, we had kind of sort of a ritual of doing that on Fridays, bringing snacks and making it sweet. And they were so encouraging to each other and, and to sit back and, and feel like I wasn't really in charge. They were in charge. They had taken charge and just were creating this 
comfortable environment to do what is really hard to, and you know, to share something with other people that you just wrote so vulnerable. Um, and the writing would be so personal. Um, you know, their voices would be shaking, you know, and that whole, um, it takes nerve. And, and to be part of that, uh, totally sweet. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, and, and especially for you, like, you know, trying to get to that place with creative writing for people to know how to be vulnerable and, like, trying to, I'm wondering for you how important it is for, like, your students to see you as, like, a creative person yourself. Um, I used to post poetry up on a site called Starlight Cafe. The site, the site has been taken down, um, but I would share with students poems that I had written, you know, occasionally. Um, just to say, hey, you know, um, I do this. I love this. Uh, I guess attached to that is I'm shopping at Hy-Vee and a former student, you know, stops me in the eye, stocking shelves and pulls a crumpled piece of paper out of his pocket. And he's written a poem. He's like, oh, I wrote this poem. I'm going to read it to you. And, he, you know, and so, um, yeah, I think it's important to show kids this is real. It's not just something we do at school. Is being honest and vulnerable as a teacher something that gets a lot easier as you get more experience, or is that just an ongoing thing of, of knowing when to do that? I, I'm sure that I got more comfortable with it, with experience. Yeah. You know, in the beginning, you feel so um, nervous about making a mistake or getting, you know, caught not knowing something, um, and later... For me, later, I got much more relaxed about saying, you know, I'm not sure. I got to look into that. The power of being like, I don't know. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Um, laughing with kids, I mean, making a mistake, all of that stuff definitely got easier for me as I got, as I got older. I'm curious about for that with, uh, with, with the conversation we were just having with e-learning because now all of your students are having the same exact shared experience or at least a similar one of everything that's going on in the world and trying to relate that to what you're doing over you know when you're doing your e-teaching I'm sure is an interesting challenge. Yeah um, and I've got to tool this up for the fall doing more getting kids all um, into one Google Meets at a time. And in the summer, or, or I'm sorry, in this, um, during the shutdown, kids are kind of all over the place. It was hard to get yeah. kids to tune in at a particular time. Some yeah. of them have jobs. Some of them are taking care of siblings. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm hoping that, that, I, that I can figure out ways to ring the school bell, you know, to really, to actually get them in one place at one time. Yeah, I, I think with art, and with writing, it's going to be really fascinating once we're out of this because of like, it's so rare that people have a shared experience like this in, you know, in, in 2020. Well, I think they're going to need time to process it. Some of yeah. the assignments I gave in my academic writing and creative writing were, at, were giving kids, you know, look out your window and, 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 and describe what you see, you know, kind of processing what we're doing and and some of it you could just tell I could tell by the writing they're a little just kind of blown away that some of it might make more sense a couple months from now or a few months after they've percolated you know just sort of yeah as I say like how much did you feel like you needed to acknowledge the elephants in the virtual room and like how much you just try to 
stay business as usual as much as it can be? Boy, I really tried to make assignments. Um, I tried to give them assignments I would like to have, or I would like my kids to have under this circumstance, like visit, uh, go to a, a virtual museum or go to a virtual zoo or, or go to someplace in Chicago virtually that you, you've always wanted to go to. You know, I really tried to give them assignments that, that I would want or that, yeah, that I thought they yeah. might enjoy. I think you're right that it's, it's hard from like a, a writing or creative place to, to really dig into how you feel about a situation like this that is so complicated in the moment. I think that it's, it is, you do need a little bit of distance to be like, how can I really wrap my mind around what's going on? Especially since like, so like you said, a lot of them are seniors, and so they're, they've got a lot of other stuff they're trying to figure out right now. Shoot, are they going to college in the fall? Like, what are they doing? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a lot going on. So on a rainy day, I'd give them a, you know, a, a link to a list of poems about the rain. <laughs> and like, let's try to not get too global right now. Let's just... Right. I just saw a statistic the other day that I used in a story that it's, I believe, 27% of high school students that they surveyed have had to change what their post-grad plans are because of everything going on. There's so many other people that are worried about how they're going to pay for college. And yeah, it's incredibly difficult. I'm curious for you getting into education itself at the beginning. Did you know that you wanted to be a teacher first or did you know that you wanted to do English first? Um, I switched from being pre-journalism to getting my degree in English, but I knew the reason I was doing that is I loved my English classes, and I wanted to do what those professors were doing. I, I, like, I made that connection undergrad. I just, I was the kid, you know, I, I started to realize when I go to the bookstore and there are 15 books I'm supposed to read, but I walk out of there with 20 or 25 because there were some others, you know, for some other classes. I wanted to read those too. I was like, this is really what, what I like. This is, um, this is what I want to do. So you were always a pretty voracious reader then? You know, more so, I would say more so in college and high school, like, like my students, I was busy being a kid. You know, yeah. I was in choir and uh, theater and I threw discus. You know, I did all this crazy stuff in high school. I was just busy um, being a kid. But in college, my, you know, I, I just um, became more of a reader. In high school, I feel like we, I hit a couple where, you know, you read your Grapes of Wrath, you read your, you know, The Sun Also Rises, that type of stuff. But there was a couple that were, like, huge staples that for some reason, like, I feel like I just, we didn't learn or I didn't get around to something. And that you go back to them later and you feel like, oh, my gosh, am I the first person that's read this? And so, like, I, I read, in college, I read The Great Gatsby, and I was like, has anyone else read this before? <laughs> no. Well, at that point, you really were reading it instead of like flip, 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 flip. Right. I wasn't spark noting it or like right. trying, to, but it was hilarious. Like the great American novel of the 20th century. And I was like, why aren't we talking about this? Has anyone else heard it? <laughs> you know, one of the things when you talk about um, covering classics with kids that over the years has been the most fun is reading plays where kids take parts. The Harry Ape, really strange play. I mean, I think of the plays that, that students that I've been able to cover with students in a classroom and yeah. and they, they really get into it, Raisin in the Sun, they just get ki kids that you wouldn't have expected volunteer to take parts and it really does come to life in a different way. It's yes. one of those things you can't 
maybe you can do it with a computer. I don't know. Um, zooming it. I don't know if it would be the same thing. I, I sort of doubt it. Yeah. It's funny because I remember when I was a freshman in high school having to read. I don't think we read the whole thing, but we read like excerpts from Romeo and Juliet or something. And I remember being like, ah, it's dense. I don't care that much. But then in college, in community college, actually, I, for whatever reason, signed up for a Shakespearean acting course. And so I got to then do scenes from Romeo and Juliet and from Hamlet. And I was obsessed with it, Meryl. I was obsessed with it. Well, it I believe so much you. Fun. Because, I mean, you got into this thing of using your voice. I don't think you can find that without that aha, that discovery. Like, oh my gosh, I actually love this. Yeah. This is exciting to me. I recently found the YouTube videos because they ended up recording the scenes too. And so I actually, like not long ago, I ran across like these old videos of me as like the friar from <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, which is hilarious. And I'm like, I'm kind of nailing it. I'm like, I'm going to be honest, it's pretty good. It was you got a long some good monologue. speeches, the friar. You got some really good soliloquies got, there. I got the, a super long soliloquy to start the scene. And I was like, this is... <laughs> This is remarkable. I, I can't believe I did this. But I, I, would, I would love to be able to do more of that now. And I wish that I had more opportunity to do that in high school or, or like there wasn't some weird stigma around it or, or whatever it was that held me back from it. Doing like a reader's theater thing where kids take part so they don't have to act out anything. They're just um, seated in reading. It sparks something. 12 Angry Men is another big one that over the years kids have really enjoyed in high school. And so, oh. so relevant. Yes. And you get to get mad, which is always fun. If you get <laughs> right. to, to pretend to be angry. Do. Who doesn't like that? Because how often do you get like, how often do you get permission to yell in like a high school <laughs> right. class? I guess one of the last things I wanted to ask you about, because at the beginning we talked about, you know, your teaching changing as you go through different stages of your life. What are some of the big things around education that have changed through your career that you've noticed? Well, when I, when I first started teaching, fellow teachers always help the new teacher. Like, and, and I noticed that, and it got me through, definitely. But mm -hmm. most teachers at that time were expected to sort of just go into their room and figure it out on their own. And it was very, um, it could be lonely. It was very solitary. Now we're, we're so much more organized in teams um, and that's the expectation is that I teach seniors and I work with a group of other teachers who teach seniors and we share materials and ideas. You're not thrown on an island with 30 kids? No. And anytime somebody, um, a new, someone new comes onto the team, someone who's not taught seniors or who's not taught that literature, no problem. You know, we can help get that person ready. I think that has just been a, a big improvement, vast improvement. You don't think, have to reinvent the wheel every semester. Right. I would say another thing that's changed, although it's going to change again, is class size. When I first started teaching, it was like 20, 20 kids in a class. And more often this past, you know, five or six years, it's 35. 35. 35. And so trying to tune into all those types of kids you're talking about, it's, that's really tough with 35. Yeah, that's a lot of nuance to try to get across to that many people. It's tricky, especially for the quiet kids. You know, um, the extroverts, they, they find a way to, to, to grab your attention and you see them. The quiet kids, it's, it's tougher.
Yeah, I, I can definitely imagine that it is. I guess the last thing is, what is the greatest lesson that you've learned about teaching and that you can think about or about education itself? Or just, I it, think, it doesn't, you know you don't what, have to put a I, greatest. I think, it can um, just be a good one. I know, whenever it's like the best, the yeah, most know, important, I, it's yeah. like, oh, wait a minute. As a new teacher, I thought what was most important was kind of doing it right. You know, was mm. not making the mistake, was... was hitting everything, a kind of perfection. Yeah. And, and what I've come to realize by now in my career is that what's most important is to slow down enough to really see a kid and to really be present, to see who they are uh, and, and for them to feel welcome and to laugh with them, to, to enjoy and encourage relationship and being present, I think now when I bump into kids, you know, 10 years later, 20 years later, that's what they remember. They remember, you know, the snowman or something we laughed about or a little bird, you know, that kept perching on my window so that we all had to go over and look at the bird. Like uh, being present with kids uh, to me seems like the most important thing. And that, hey, that's a lesson, that's a free one we can all take home for every other facet of our life and our relationships. I think that's true. All right, well, any, as before we leave, any final uh, recommendations, any book, final book recommendations for people can take with them? Oh, final book recommendations. I could keep you here for, uh, all day, but um, the book, uh, Louise Erdrich, The Night Watchman, was the book that I, the, fir the first book I read this summer I would totally recommend. Night Watchman. Yep. The Night Watchman. Well, thanks so much for, for taking a couple minutes and, and having a conversation, Marilyn. Yeah, I so enjoyed it. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show and send your topic suggestions. What are the stories that we should be talking about here? You can send all of those. The email is teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing this podcast, Leave us a rating, like it, subscribe it, whatever you can do. All it does is positively impact the show. It gets more ears listening and then thus gets more perspectives, more opportunities for people we can have on the show like Marilyn Moltz. And of course, a special thanks to Marilyn Moltz for being on this show. And a special thanks to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ups for the awesome music that you hear during our show every single episode. Find more of their music on SoundCloud and their appearance on our own sessions from Studio A. Shout out to Spencer Tritt for making our cool Teacher's Lounge logo. I've been your host, Peter Medlin. Stay safe. I'll talk to you soon.